Rachel, thank you so much for that. That was awesome hearing the flute, and thank you to Marcus for leading in Joe's absence today. What a blessing it is to continue uh, worshiping, even when our, our main song leader is out of town. We thank God for, for faithful, helpful, serving people. And now it's time for us to turn to the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Sundays, the last Sunday in June. And so, as far as Sundays go, we will be halfway through the year, six months completed. And Father, it seems like time flies. We're reminded here this morning that in the midst of a life that is passing us by so quickly, Father, there's only one thing that matters, and that is, do we love you? Do we know you through Jesus? Father, we pray today you would grip us with that truth. We thank you that we're here, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. That'll be page 932 if you're using a pew Bible. 932 in the black pew Bible or page or Mark chapter 12 if you brought your own Bible. We were in chapter 11 for a long time. And we finished it, and now we're going to get into chapter 12. I want to remind you that we are into the final week of Jesus' life. We're not far away from him being crucified, him being killed, him dying. And yet here, at this stage of the story, he's still teaching. He tells a parable. Parables are big, and parables are heavy. A parable is like a story you tell that seems to connect on things like an illustration, like earthly type things, but it's got a deeper meaning to it. Jesus did this a lot. Jesus would teach in parables, and some people would get it, and some people wouldn't. And here's what he's doing. But what's unique about this is it's his last one. This is the last parable that Jesus teaches before he dies. And it's a big one. And if you have been reading Mark or you've been here consistently, then you get kind of where we've been. We, we have seen several weeks of Jesus talking about fruit. And if somebody says they're of God but they're not bearing fruit, then they must not be of God. That God being inside of somebody will produce fruit. That Christians are to be fruit-bearing people. And we see Jesus getting upset about that. We see Jesus doing something about it if people are hypocritical in his name. We see a lot of issue on authority. Remember the last time that we were here, we saw them challenge the authority of Jesus. That would have been two weeks ago with last Sunday being Father's Day. And then in this passage, Jesus is now teaching a parable. But it includes all of that. And I don't want us to miss it. Because it's all coming to a climax now. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 12. We're going to read the 12 verses. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. 
Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. The world is full of people who give lip service to Jesus, isn't there? There's a lot of people out there that claim our Christ as their Lord and Savior. Much worse, there are a lot of people out there that claim God Almighty as their Father in Heaven. And a lot of it's just talk. And if you've lived long enough, you know that talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. Walk the talk. And Jesus, every once in a while, as we've seen now through chapter 11 and here again in chapter 12, Jesus teaches in a way that those who are half-hearted and not really committed to him will not be embraced, right? This is one of these passages. Jesus is, by way of parable, calling out all of those who do not really love him. In the bulletin I put, don't miss the warning, he was talking about them. If you look down at verse 9, here's the real question that we're going to try to get at. What will the owner of the vineyard do? What is the owner of the vineyard going to do to those who surely should have received his son but didn't? And in their greed and in their selfishness and in their pride, they also mistreated the son sent by the landowner and sought after their own desires. Verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do about that? And it's pretty intense. Normally I come and I try to give uh, lots of uh, points and try to break it down for you, but I think this parable is, is, is heavy, so I just want to walk slowly through it, so let's do that, and I'll explain every part. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. So we have a, a man planting a vineyard. That's our setting. And so what is the vineyard? Well, I want to show you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Turn to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5. 
You know, we've already been studying Jesus for quite some time. We've been in Mark for months and months and months. Jesus is so familiar with his Old Testament. Jesus knew his Bible. He read it. He, he knew it. And here he is showing us his knowledge of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to read the first several verses. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet speaking to the people of Israel for God. Isaiah 5 says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. you see it? We have vineyard talk here. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked, he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. He wanted his vineyard to be fruitful, but it wasn't fruitful. Verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The Old Testament pictures God's people as a vineyard. And the vineyard is not bearing fruit. So God brings judgment upon the vineyard. Jesus is drawing upon this Old Testament truth of an unfruitful people described as a vineyard. He's telling a parable, it's not a real story. It's a story he's telling for you to connect it to life. A man, now I'm back at Mark 12, a man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a tower. So he had a plan for it. He had a purpose with it. There was a fence to do some uh, purpose. There was a pit. There was a wine press. There was a tower so that you could see what was going on. There was meaning behind uh, the structure and the building of this vineyard. And he leased it to tenants and went into another country. So he left. Now the vineyard is to be occupied and taken care of and worked by these tenants. Okay? People who are responsible for the vineyard. Remember, if the vineyard is representing the people of God, then the the tenants are to be those leading. Working with the people of God. Verse 2. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. So in the parable, the owner is now just sending a servant. Hey, go get me some fruit. I own the vineyard. and We got people down there working the vineyard. Go get me some fruit. So that's all he's going to do. He's not going to collect rent. He's not going to chastise them. He's just going to get some fruit. But he goes there. Verse 3, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. They took him, they beat him, 
and they've sent him away empty-handed. The servant, if you will, would be a messenger coming to the vineyard. The servant, if you will, would be a messenger coming to the tenants of the vineyard. So the people of God and those who lead and teach and uh, work with the people of God. And the servant comes from the owner. Okay? So the owner would be God. And a servant, if you will, would be like a prophet coming. And they did not listen. Even though he was sent by the owner, they did not listen. They took him. They beat him. They said, get get out of here. No fruit. So, verse 4, again, he sent to them another servant, another prophet type, if you will. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Verse 5, he sent another, and this one they killed. That's three now. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. I'm going to stop there for a second. Church, we must remember that Christianity is to be lived following Christ. There is no church without the head of the church, Jesus. There is no bride of Christ without the bridegroom, Jesus. There is no body of Christ without the head, Jesus. You may call yourself Christian all you want to, but if you are not following Jesus, our head, our Lord, our King, You're not really Christian. That comes from the truth of the Word of God. All that we know and understand about God rightly and truthfully comes from the Word of God. The Bible says that we are His sheep. The Bible says that we are His people. We are connected to Him. Jesus, in a similar passage in John 15, teaching on the true vine, says... Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are a needy people, absolutely, utterly, and totally, completely dependent upon God. We get away from that, and we are wrong. In the beginning of this parable, and we haven't gotten to the main point, in the beginning of this parable, we have a picture of tenants taking care of a vineyard that's not theirs. They're just there as keepers. The owner has allowed them to do that. And the owner sends servants, and they reject them. Are there some areas in your life where you reject God? You reject the teaching of God? You reject the Word of God? It's fascinating to think that the landlord would say something to the tenant and the tenant would reject it. I want to also add in that this is the teaching of Jesus and Jesus is our friend and Jesus is our Lord. But it's pretty intense, is it not? It's actually violent. We're hesitant to read this passage knowing that there are children in the congregation There is beating, there is abuse, there is even killing. 
This is Jesus' teaching. Let's be honest here today. There are people that reject the teaching of God. There are people that oppose the teaching of God. There are people that hate the teaching of God. This is coming out in the parable of Jesus. The parable of the tenants. The vineyard is God's. The owner is God. He sends servants to the vineyard to get fruit, and the tenants reject him. I know Christians who don't believe the Bible. And y'all do too. They say that they're Christians. But at the very point that you are no longer believing and committed to the Bible, you are no longer Christian. Call yourself what you want. Do you remember Jesus' strong teaching when he says, not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember that? Just because you say Jesus is your Lord does not mean that he is your Lord. Jesus is your Lord if you are bowed down to him. Servant after servant sent to the vineyard, rejected, abused, beaten, killed, and sent away. We will manage this ourselves. We don't need anybody else telling us this puffed up, this proud, this bad attitude. Well, I'm going to call my own shots. And they're not even the owner of the vineyard. It's not their place. It's not their responsibility. They don't have the ability to be able to do that. The owner from a distance. He's taking all of this in. So here's what he concludes. Verse 6. He had still one other, a beloved son. Who do you think that represents? Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized and God spoke from heaven? This is my beloved son. This is God's son. Now it's a parable. Jesus is just telling a story, but you need to understand. The owner of the vineyard says, they rejected all the other servants I've sent. We have a whole history in the world of people rejecting the prophets. Of people rejecting the ones that God sent. Prophets have been killed. Prophets have been beaten. Prophets have been opposed. And so the owner of the vineyard in verse 6 says, I have a son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. It's this idea of, hey, they may not listen to the servants, but surely they'll respect my son. This idea. Surely. You ever been at work and the boss shows up and you kind of get yourself together? You ever been at work and the boss shows up and he's got his family with him? Get to meet his wife and try to be on your best behavior. Maybe brings his kids and you get to meet them. Isn't it almost natural that, hey, this is his family that you wouldn't respect them? I'm the pastor of our church, not quite a boss, but some responsibility to you all and my family who lives in North Carolina has come up many times to visit and almost naturally y'all have been kind to them and welcomed them and loved on them and lined up to talk to them and meet them and 
That's kind of how it should be. But with God, the owner of the vineyard, they've rejected everything he sent. So now he says, I'll send my son. My son. Folks, do you realize that in God's grand plan for the world, the universe, do you realize that at the very center, the best part of the movie, at the climax, do you realize that God in his infinite wisdom sent his beloved son to us? Do you remember when Galatians 4 said, but at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. At the right time, God sent him to us. Do you realize that from history past to history future, you bring B.C. from creation all the way here, and you bring the the future all the way backward at the very middle, you have a world torn apart by wicked, sinful people. It's 2017, and people are being killed all over the place. In 1917, people were killed all over the place. In 1517, people were being killed all over the place. And sin has been destroying our world the whole time and the answer to the problem and the solution to the world and the main part of it is God decided to send his son Jesus he didn't come with a whip and he didn't come shaking his finger and he didn't come snapping his hands and clapping his hands saying now listen to me enough's enough He came in a way that they didn't recognize. He came in a way that much of the vineyard didn't expect. He came humble and lowly. He came to die on the cross. He didn't say much about it because it was the plan of God. He didn't resist too much. They nailed him to a cross. The innocent Holy Son of God, the beloved Son, was nailed to a cross. And let me remind you that God cannot die because the wages of sin is death. And if God has not sinned because God cannot sin, then God cannot die. And our Lord Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, God in the flesh, could not have died. And he was hanging on the cross. He would have hung there forever. But then at some moment on the cross... God took your sins, your bad attitude, your lusts, your hatred, your anger, your frustrations, your pride, your jealousy, your shame. God took all of that and put that on Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus was not a sinner, but he became a sinner. Not a sinner because he sinned, but a sinner because of your sin. And God put your sin on him. And when Jesus had the sin on him of the world, that is when God punished him with the wrath of God and killed him because God loves us. And God sent Jesus in that love for us. For anybody, anywhere 
to not get that does not understand the whole story and does not understand the love of God. For anybody anywhere to try to act like sin is not real is so foolish and blinded. It is real. It's messing up my family. It's messing up your family. It's messing up my friends. Everybody in the room is majorly being torn apart by sin in the world. And the only solution is that God has already dealt with sin in his son Jesus. God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. Listen to this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son in love so that whoever believes in him would not die for their sins. You won't die for your sins because Jesus already died for your sins. You will not die for your sins because Jesus already died for your sins if you believe that. If you do not believe that, then you will die for your sins. All of God's judgment, all of God's wrath, all of his hatred for sin and the good, holy, true punishment that he will bring upon sin will be punished in two places, one of two places. Listen to me. Either in Jesus Christ on the cross, which has already happened, or in the judgment in the future, which is coming. Every single sin of the world, all of my sins, all of your sins, all of the world's sins, will be judged in one of two places. Either in Jesus on the cross, or in the future judgment. If you will bow your knee and trust in Christ, your sins will be completely forgiven and God will wash you clean and purify your heart and your conscience because he already dealt with your sins. If you don't want to trust in Christ, then the only thing that waits you is the fearful judgment that is coming. God sent his son in love. That was John 3, 16. I quote in the very next verse says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God sent his son into the world that the world might be saved through him. God sent his son to us because he loves us. God sent his son to us because God is a gracious and forgiving God. Notice, in our parable, the owner of the vineyard has already seen one, two, three, and many more beaten and abused and even killed. Wouldn't you stop sending them? You would if you were a worldly person that treated people the way we do. But the owner of the vineyard represents God. And when God knew how they were treating the servants he sent, God said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send the one I love. Folks, when you and I are at our worst, when you and I are honest about the sinners that we are, God loves us the most and sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Look at verse 6. He had still one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But verse 7, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. This is the best one, biggest one, most closely connected to the owner. There was no fear there. Come, let us kill him 
and the inheritance will be ours. We could go on and on with all that they were eaten up with, all that they were distracted by, all that they were obsessed with and controlled by. We could go on and on with just how wicked they were to the core, how blinded they were, how wrongheaded they were, how unfocused they were, how much they didn't get it. After they had already killed several and beaten several and gotten several out of the way, here comes the son of the owner, the heir, the one who is just as connected And their whole thought was, me, 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 us, 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 us. What can we do here, even to the son of the owner, that will get everybody out of the picture and we can indulge ourselves with everything that we want and it can be completely all about us. Then I don't have to listen to anybody. There's no one else he can even send. I'll be my own man. I'll call my own shots. We'll do our own things. Our money will be for us. Our health will be for us. Our family will be for us. Everything about me will be for me, they're thinking. Verse 8, they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. They did that to the son. You don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 1, John is writing this whole idea about Jesus. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The owner of the vineyard sent his son, his beloved son. They did not accept him. They beat him. They killed him. And they threw him out. Verse 9 asks, what will the owner of the vineyard And that's where we started, and that's where we're at. How might the owner of the vineyard respond? Remember that this is a parable, and Jesus is teaching. Verse 1 says, he began to speak to them in parables. And so at verse 9, he asks, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He says, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Somewhat of a heavy teaching, isn't it? The Bible teaches that soon and soon enough, God will wait no longer. Soon and soon enough, God is coming to judge the world. It's not popular. You can find a lot of churches on a Sunday morning that no longer believe this. These are the words of Jesus. At some point, at some time in the near future, four times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am coming soon. God is coming as the owner of the vineyard. And for those who've rejected him, he will punish them. Folks, God loves you. 
and loves you in such a way that even though you've sinned against him and still do sin against him, he sent Jesus to you, for you, died on the cross for you. And If you will believe in him, God will forgive you of all your sins. The question is, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And then he answers, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So those who were supposed to be doing well with the vineyard weren't. And so in the parable, he will give it to somebody else. It lets us think of maybe the 12 disciples, the Jews and the Pharisees had been supposedly carrying the kingdom of God and representing God, but not rightly. And so now this is going to go to the 12 apostles. And now this is going to go to the Gentiles, not only the Jews. And it lets us know that the the people of God is going to go in directions that will bear fruit. Remember, that was the whole purpose. Remember the fig tree up in chapter 11, verse 12, that was cursed? Remember the cleansing of the temple in chapter 11, verse 15? Jesus cleansed the temple because they were there and not worshiping? Remember the explanation of the withered fig tree there in chapter 11? What we have are example after example after example of people who are supposed to be living for God and they're not living for God. And so God is doing something about it. And after all of that, he tells a parable that hits the nail right on the head. Folks, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Then in verse 10, he says, Have you not read this scripture? This is from Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Here's what he means. The stone that they reject. Y'all know what a cornerstone is when you're building something. The stone that the builders reject, okay, is the cornerstone. In other words, it's Jesus. The key, the stone The most important thing in the world is Jesus. He's the only Savior. He's the only hope. He's the only one who gave his life for us so that we don't have to give our lives. He's the only one that took the wrath of God for us so that we don't have to face the wrath of God. He's the only one good enough to die for those bad enough. He's the answer. And what Jesus is saying right here through the parable is, I sent my son, y'all killed him. What do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do? He's going to come destroy you. And then he quotes Psalm 118 to say, the very thing y'all stumble over is the cornerstone. In other words, he sent his son, you didn't listen to him, it's like Psalm 118 says, the cornerstone. And then he quotes verse 23, verse 11, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now I want to show you something. Look back at the passage the last time we were here, 1127, same page. Look at 1127. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority to do them? See, that was the question. Jesus already cursed the fig tree and told him, if you don't bear fruit, you're worthless. Jesus already cleansed the temple and said, no, my father's house is going to be about worship. You're not going to come in here and make it a place for profit and for greedy gain. You're not going to turn the the, the vineyard of God into something that's not fruitful. And Jesus cleansed the temple and said, get out of here. It's not going to be a den of robbers. It's going to be a, a, a house of prayer for all nations. And he's purifying them. And so they don't like it. 
They don't like anybody telling their religious thoughts and views and values uh, that they're wrong. They don't like it. So they come to him and they challenge him and they say, by what authority? Well, Jesus asked them a couple questions and you get down to verse 33. Jesus answered, we do not know. They answered to Jesus, we do not know. So Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So he didn't speak up and give them the answer there, but he immediately rolled into this parable. And this parable tells you who has the authority. They had just been in a little argument over, they said to Jesus, who said you could do this? Who gave you the right to do this? By what authority are you doing this? Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you. But then he gives them this parable. Folks, don't miss the point of this parable. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Your life depends upon him. And your eternal life depends upon him. Look at verse 12, the last verse. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. They knew he's talking about us. They knew he was talking about them. Folks, we can say all we want to say about there's this we don't understand or so many churches and different beliefs and the world's big and all that. There is but one mediator between God and men. There is but one road that gets to God. There's only one way to heaven. Because there's only one God that loves us in such a way that in the midst of the hostility sent his son. You must deal with it. You must seek the Lord. You must believe in him. If you have never bowed your knee and said, oh God, forgive me of my sins. If you've never cried out to him and said, God, have mercy on me. If you're not leaning upon him now, you ought. If you're not surrendered to Jesus, would you? And if you refuse to, please hear verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Church, we need to hear the warning today that to be a hypocritical, unfruitful misrepresentation of God is a scary thing. Jesus does not hold back. He pulls no punches. There are some flowery passages you can read to make Jesus sound like a nice, soft, sweet teacher. And some people only quote those. But then there's others like these. You can find your children's Bible that only has a few stories in it and they're all good ones that you can read with your three-year-old and never have to talk about this. But eventually your kid's going to grow up. 
And they're going to know what it's like to be used and abused and hurt and torn apart. And they're going to have friends that don't have family. They're going to have friends that lives are ruined. And they're going to see pain and they're going to see hurting. And they're going to see a jacked up world. And you're going to want to turn to a passage like this that says, God knows, God's aware, God cares. And there's an answer to all the trouble and all the pain. You know what it is? It's that he sent his son. Because he loves us. Yesterday, I had such a sweet moment. My, my youngest girl, Liliana, asked if, well, I guess I was in the backyard, and she came outside. And she only knows a few words, but one of the words she knows is swing. And she'll just say swing and swing and swing until she gets the swing. And y'all remember how good the weather has been And yesterday. Yesterday morning, it was like maybe 70 degrees, and we were in the shade, and it just felt outstanding. It wasn't one of those days where you wanted to go back inside, so we stayed there, and I pushed her on the swing for what, what, what seemed like an hour. And I was talking to her, and she was trying to talk back, and I was taking pictures and trying to take a video, and we were having a good time. You know, you push her on the swing, and you let her swing up, and her feet kick you, and she just loves that. She'll cackle and laugh, and it's just simple entertainment, but she loves it. And, you know, you let her kick you in the face one time, and then you're dodging her, and we're doing all that fun stuff, and she's just loving it. She's only two, and she's just loving it. And I kept saying, you ready to go back inside? And she said, no. So we just kept swinging. So I just started talking to her. I said, Liliana, you know I love you. I love you so much. Your dad loves you. I'm not sure if she really understands, but I just started talking. So, you know, God gave you to me and me and Mama. You're our daughter. We love you so much. I love it right now that I've got nothing to do, and I'm just sitting here swinging, and we don't have anything else to do. We just keep swinging. The weather feels good. It's nice out here, and I love you. I love doing it. I love you kicking me. I love you laughing. I just really enjoy this. I'm just sitting there talking, and she's just swinging. I said, Liliana, you know what? Jesus loves you too. And he's the one that gave you to me. He loves you more than I do. I said, Liliana, you believe me? She said, no. (laughs) I said, Liliana, he does. He loves you. I said, you know what, Liliana, he loves me too. He loves our family. He loves Fairdale and the people here. Liliana, you've got to love him back. He'll forgive you of all your sins, Liliana, but you've got to love him back. You've got to believe in him because he died for you. I said, do you believe me? She said, no. I said, do you love Jesus? She said, no. I said, do you believe in him? She said, no. She's only two. I don't know if she understood or not, but she's honest. I said, Lily. By God's grace, I want to keep telling you that. And I want to keep showing you that. And one day you'll believe. And one day you'll believe. Because she's a sweet, cute little girl, folks. But according to God's great love, there is no other answer. Say what you want, do what you want, hope all you want, wish all you want. There is no other answer. There is no greater love than the love of God who lays down his life for us. May you trust in him. 
Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much for a big, heavy parable. A parable, God, that really is hard to read. One day, you'll wait no longer and you'll come back. The book of Hebrews says that when you come back, God, you're going to come to get those who are eagerly waiting for you. Father, I pray you'll find us. I pray you'll find every one of us, every single one of us here, waiting for you because we need you. Father, may we never reject you or reject your son. You're the Savior, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've never believed on Christ,